Well, um, we're in a series called Face Your Fears, and um, we started on Mother's Day, and we're going to wrap up today on Father's Day, and, and uh, guys, this is primarily for you today, because this, this is our number one fear. Uh, women fear inadequacy, and women fear abandonment, uh, but today, guys, I'm going to talk to us uh, as men. Kind of to back into that. I'm going to talk about not just some of those bloopers, but some of the things that happened in real life. How many of you in the room drive a Ford, want a Ford vehicle, want to sell your Ford? How many in the room know what the Ford Motor Company is? Okay, Fords. All right, good. Good. That's a few more hands. No wonder we're losing market share. Nobody raised their hand. Uh, anyway, um, before Henry Ford became very successful, I don't know if you know this or not, but he actually failed five times. He had five failed businesses as he got started. How many of you uh, shop at Macy's, ladies shop at Macy's? How many of you are going to Macy's after church because you just realized it's Father's Day? Um, You know all about the coupons, you know. Anyway, R.H. Macy, before he hit it big in New York City, seven business failures. He failed seven times before he finally uh, hit it big. Steven Spielberg, this is one of my favorite stories, Steven Spielberg applied three times to the University of Southern California to the School of Film, TV, and theater, and he was rejected all three times. He goes back 35 years later in 2002 and finishes his bachelor's degree. I think that's hilarious. He could have bought the university in 2002. Dick Cheney, former vice president. Anybody know who Dick Cheney is? Most of you know Dick Cheney. All right, a little more hands in forward. Okay, Dick Cheney. Um, Dick Cheney flunked out of Yale twice. Two times he flunked out of Yale. And, of course, the president at that time was George Bush, and George Bush graduated from Yale. So this was their running joke. George Bush said, you know, if you graduate from Yale, you get to be president. If you flunk out, you just get to be the vice president. I, I thought that was great. That, that, was their, that was their running joke. Oprah got fired from her first reporting job, and her report said she was unfit for TV. Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. Who was that idiot who cut Michael Jordan? (laughs) That guy had to get fired for sure. Elvis Presley, true story. Elvis Presley, his first performance at the Grand Ole Opry. The uh, manager was a guy named Dan Denny. And Dan Denny, after his first performance, came up to Elvis and said, Son, you ain't got no talent. You ain't got what it takes. Go back to driving a truck. Elvis Presley, one of the greatest. Anyway, I thought that's hilarious to see these different people. Uh, what about real life? There's all kinds of failures in life, isn't there? We've all failed. We've all struggled with failure. And guys, that is our number one fear in life. And I get this one. This one I totally get. And so some of the other ones that we've done, like loneliness, I don't get loneliness. I go to places just to meet new people, and I'm happy. You know, or I go to a movie by myself, and I'm happy. So I don't, but I get this one. Today, I get the fear of failure. And sometimes I wonder if what drives me is really all the good things of God, or if what drives me is really I'm scared to death that I'm not going to be successful. 
And I'll be honest with you, I, I can't always get my mind wrapped around which is good and which is not as, as healthy as maybe it, it can be. So I'm, I'm going to talk today about the fear of failure, and I get this one. I can resonate with this. We're going to join David today, and we're going to join David when he's failing. We're not joining David when he's in his glory years. We won't join David today when he's like a great warrior and winning and doing great things. We're not going to join David today when he's giving away billions of dollars to help raise the, you know, the money for Solomon to build the temple. This is a time in David's life when he's failing. It's a chapter. It's not his whole life. It's not the book. It's just a chapter of David's life. And he's running from Saul. He is in a cave. Saul has thrown a spear to pin him against the wall, and and David is not not doing well. Now, every guy in this room knows what that feels like because we've all failed. Every one of us in this room, we we, we understand this, and and we, we all struggle with this. And when you fail, how do you feel when you fail? And by the way, every guy in the room is going to fail. You have failed, and if you're not doing anything in life, then you're not, you're not really living. And so if you're living, you're going to take some risks. And when you take some risks, you are going to fail at time, from time to time. So, so how do you feel when you fail? Well, you feel like a loser. You feel like a moron, don't you? I mean, you, you feel like, my gosh, how come everybody else gets to be successful and I'm like in, in the back of the bus? And what happens then when we fail at, at something, we then begin to withdraw. And we pull ourselves away and we begin to insulate and we begin to isolate ourselves from people and things that we know that we, we should be doing. And so, guys, I, I want to you know, take, kind of take the mask off today. And I want to kind of peel the layers of the onion back just a little bit. And I want us to see if we can like, like make some progress. Because God's called us to be warriors. He's called us to do great things. He's called all of us as men in this room to make a significant difference. And if this fear of failure paralyzes us, then we can never go forward and accomplish the things that God has in store for us to do. So we're going to look at Psalm 18 today. It's a great psalm. I've never taught on, well, I did about an hour ago, but I've never taught on Psalm 18 until today. And it's one of my favorite psalms in the whole Bible. We're going to camp out there the whole, whole morning. Um, and so turn to Psalm 18 if you've got a phone or a Bible or an iPad or whatever. And, and, we're, and if you don't have that, go back this week in your 15 minutes with God. Go back this week and read and reread all week long Psalm 18. And it takes about 15 minutes to read Psalm 18. So it's a great reading for us this week. So here we go with Psalm 18, and here's David when David is really failing. David is struggling. Here's what David says, Psalm 18, verse 4. David says, the cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. This is not a good chapter. This is a rough chapter. The king is out to kill me. I don't have my family with me. I don't have my mighty men with me. I got a bunch of outlaws with me. I have 400 outlaws running rough with me at this point. This is not a good chapter in my life of David. Look at that verse 5. The cords of the grave coiled around me, and the snares of death confronted me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not, but I have. 
I think most of us in this room have felt like, gosh, how come this isn't working? How come this is so hard? How come I can't seem to, and we begin to ask ourselves those questions. Maybe we don't talk about it out loud, but we certainly ask those questions internally. Now, what's very good about David is that David knows God. David's not waiting on a relationship with God. In other words, when you have a failure, and you're going to fail, by the way. I mean, the only person who didn't fail was Jesus, right? That's the only person who didn't fail. And if you never fail, then then you would never need Jesus. You would never need a Savior. And so the reason that we need a Savior is because we've all failed. And and so so David, though, at, at this time in his life, he knows God. He doesn't like wait until there's a crisis and go, you know what, maybe I should get some religion in my life. Maybe I should explore and see if, you know, God's real. Listen, he, he's, in a, he's, in a, he's in a cave, but he knows God. Psalm 18, verse 1, he says this. See, I, I love you, Lord, my strength. I know you. Verse 2, you're my rock. You're my fortress. I know you. You've delivered me. I get this. You're, you're my rock in whom I take refuge. You're my shield. You're the horn of my salvation. We don't get the whole horn thing. It's just a symbol of strength. You, you are my stronghold. Look at verse 3. See, he knows God. I'm failing, but I know God. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And, I, and, I, and I've been saved from all of my enemies. Now, so if you have a relationship with God, you know God cares. You already know that. You personally know that God cares. And you know that God can. But sometimes you ask yourself, will he? I know he can, and I know he cares, but will God get involved in my life and in my deal? And and I want you to hear the poetry of how David describes the passion of God. This is an amazing passion that he he describes. Verse 6, chapter 18, verse 6 says, In my distress... In other words, when I'm failing, I'm struggling, I'm not doing well, this isn't going the way I should be, the chart's not up and to the right, it's going south. In my distress, I call to the Lord. Now, I like this, because in my distress, I don't go looking for another affair. In my distress, I don't go looking for, you know, illegitimate money. In my distress, I'm not going to go to some, some bar. In my distress, I'm going to God. And I cry out to God. He's the only one that can really help you anyway. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And David now, even though it's a, a bad paragraph in David's life, he describes his connection with his heavenly father. And I, I just love this. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And I've done this. I have poured out my heart just like this. And then look at verses 7 through 15, because with great poetry, it describes God's passion and God's power. So he cries out, I'm in trouble, I need help, and here's what David says about God. He says, the earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Why is he angry? He's angry because somebody's out to oppress one of his children, one of his boys, Smoke rose from God's nostrils. Consuming fire comes out of God's mouth. This is poetry. Burning coals blazed out of it. God parted the heavens and he came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. 
He mounted the cherubim and he flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Hear the poetry? Out of the brightness of his presence, so we got the darkness, one, one pendulum swing one way, now the pendulum goes swing the other way to describe his glory, his brightness. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. Hailstorms and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and he scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. Now you think about this. The valleys of the sea, how deep is that? The foundation of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. And David is describing, guys, how God wants to do life with you. David is describing that God can't wait to come into your life and make you the man of God that he's called you to be. Now, I want to come back to failure for just a second. Because there's 101 different ways to fail. There, there really is. There's 101 different ways to fail. You can fail academically. You can fail relationally, you can fail ethically, you can fail morally. I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways to fail today. And there's different seasons of life when you and I can fail. I mean, maybe, maybe grade school didn't, didn't go so good, you know, maybe grade school was rough. And you get into middle school and, and you're, you're, just, you're just struggling, you get into high school, and that goes from like bad to worse, and, and, and you're a young adult, and you're still not, you have no grounding, no footing, and you get into the workforce, and, and you begin to make some real ethical failure decisions. You, you steal money. You lie. You're not a team player. You're trying to put everybody else down to make you look good, which just makes you look like the fool in, in a work environment. Or, or maybe you fail morally. I, I don't need to talk about that. I mean, we, we just turn on the TV. We can watch that. I mean, you, there's a bunch of different ways to fail morally. How, how many different ways can we fail relationally? Man, we can fail relationally. Whether we're married or not, there's, a, there's still a 50 different ways to fail relationally with people that we like and that we love. And the very people that we want to bring close, we seem to be... There's distance. We seem to be, and we don't want to do that. We don't mean to do that. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to bring, and yet, yet we just, there's a bunch of ways to fail. There's a bunch of different ways to fail. So what do we do with this? Do we just collapse? Do we just hunker down? Do we just kind of get a life of like pain avoidance? Do, do we take no risks? You see, guys, the reason that young men's car insurance is far greater than young w women's car insurance is because we're, we're, we're risk takers. We're, we're warriors. We, we are create not, not to be foolish, not to be idiots, kind of like the video, some of those people on the video, but, but we're warriors. So what, what do we do? Well, first of all, We've got to realize that God's the one who will come to our aid. Let me keep reading a couple more verses. Verse 16. He reached down from on high. And he took hold of me. We're, we're going to get ourselves in a trap. We are. As men, we're going to make some foolish decisions. 
Ladies, just be quiet. No amens. Just, 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 just take a nap. You're not even here today. Just relax, okay? I'm not speaking to you. No it, rib, no, none of that, all right? He drew me out of deep waters. Every one of us in this room are going to be in deep waters, emotionally, relationally, financially, morally, every one of us. At some point, many times, we're going to be there. He drew me out of deep waters. Look at the next verse. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, who were too strong for me. Look at verse 18. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord, the Lord, he's in a cave. The king is out to kill him. You got problems? Not like this guy. But the Lord was my support. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. A, uh, a woman by the name of Susan Jeffers wrote a really interesting title, had an interesting title to her book. And the title of the book was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Feel the Fear and do it anyway. And Susan Jeffers, she, she wrote a book, and I didn't read the book, but I love the title. And I'm going to give you the two main points that I read about the excerpts of this. But, but here's what Susan Jeffers said. Here's how she got to that point. Feel the fear. Say that with me, guys. Feel the fear and do it anyway. All right? Here's what she said. She said, part of my problem was the nonstop little voices inside my head that kept telling me, you'd better not change your situation. There's nothing else out there for you. You'll never make it on your own. You know the one I'm talking about, the one that keeps reminding you, don't take a chance. You might make a mistake. You'll be sorry. My fear never seemed to abate. And I, I didn't have a moment's peace. Even my doctorate in psychology didn't seem to do me much good. Then one day, as I was dressing for work, I reached the turning point. I happened to glance in the mirror, and I saw an all-too-familiar sight, eyes red and puffy from tears of self-pity. And suddenly, rage welled up within me, and I began shouting at my reflection in the mirror, enough, enough, enough. I shouted until I had no energy and no voice left. When I stopped, I felt a strange and a wonderful sense of relief and calm that I'd never felt before. Without realizing it at the time, I'd gotten in touch with a very powerful part of myself that before that moment, I didn't even know existed. I took another look in the mirror as I smiled and I nodded, yes. That old familiar voice of doom and gloom was drowned out at least temporarily, and a new voice had come to the fore, one that spoke of strength and love and joy and all good things. And at that moment, I knew I was not going to let fear get the best of me. I would find a way to rid myself of the negativism that prevailed in my life. Thus, a brand new odyssey, it, it began. And so Susan Jeffers in this Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway has two main points to her book. I just saved you three hours. I'm going to give you both main points right here. The first one is this, number one. The fear will never go away as long as you continue to grow. In other words, you go from season to season in life, and as you change and, tra and go from different, there's different transitions in your life, unless you're hunkering down, unless you shut down, the fear, she says, will never go away. 
You continue to grow, you'll continue to face your fears. Feel the fear, though. But number two, here's what she said, number two. The only way to get rid of the fear is to do something, is to go out and to do it. The only way to get rid of the fear of doing something is to go out and to do it. In other words, Susan Jeffers says, face your fears. And so my whole point in this last six weeks from Mother's Day till today is I know we struggle with fears. It could be loneliness. It could be inadequacy. It could be misunderstanding. It, it could be criticism. It, it could be today's, you know, facing the fear of failure. It, it doesn't really matter, but you've got to face it. And when you and I face it, then, then that fear gets smaller and smaller, and we're able then, guys, to do the things that God has called us to do. T- take your bulletin, if you would, and I've got six different, I've got seven different quick points in your bulletin. That if you're a fill-in, you're a note-taker, this is what God's willing to do for you. In other words, you can do life without God, and you can try to be strong and powerful without God, but with God, he will make you. So if you take refuge in the Heavenly Father, Psalm 18 says there's seven action steps that God will do for you. Guys, this is huge. Don't miss this. Let me say that again. If you will take refuge in your Heavenly Father, there are seven action steps that God's willing to take for you and with you out of uh, Psalm 18. Okay? Ladies, just take a nap. Guys, here we go. Number one, if you take refuge in the Lord, he will shield, he will shield me. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's, word, the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take what? Refuge. You take refuge in your heavenly father. Now, what's a shield? It's a weapon that deflects. It's a weapon that protects. It's something that will help you in your life. Anybody need a shield in their life? Absolutely. Number two, he will be my rock. Psalm 18.31 says, For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? I love that. Who is the rock besides our God? Now, guys, let me, let me just make a point, a point on this real quick. See, the women in your life are not to be your rock. You're not to draw strength from the women in your life. You are to give strength. You're not to take, so, so ladies, if you're dating some guy and he's just sucking the life out of you, just tell him to hit the road, all right? I'm a great marriage counselor, by the way. <laughs> Guys, we're to give strength, and we get the strength from the rock. We get the strength from our Heavenly Father. The strength comes from God. We're not, we're not trying to get strength from all the women in our lives. That's not a man. A man gives strength. A man is strong because he gets it from God. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock? All right, number three. If we take refuge in our heavenly Father, he will arm me with strength. Again, the strength comes from God. Psalm 18, verse 32a. It is God who arms me with strength. I've been married almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years August the 4th. I think it took me 20 years to figure that out. That I'm to give strength. I'm to give strength. I'm to give strength. I'm not to get strength from my daughters and from my wife or from my mother. I'm to to give it. Number four, he will keep my way secure. Psalm 18 verse 32b says, keeps my way secure. God, God loves this. If you take 
refuge in him. He will keep your way secure. Number five, he will secure my footing. Psalm 18, verse 33, he will secure my footing. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Now, again, this is a little weird for us because we've got Bambi, you know, over here in the golf courses, you know, and we watch Bambi over in the golf courses. But really the imagery here is these are like those four-footed special creatures that can climb the mountains. They can, they can climb those rock crevices, and they can just go right up the rocks, and you, know, you and I'd fall off of it, but, but they're, they're secure. This is what he's saying. No matter how steep your climb is, your heavenly Father, and, you, and some of you guys got some pretty steep climbs. Some of you have had some horrible childhoods. Some of you have had some rotten parents. Some of you had some awful things take place in your life. But it's not about you. It's about what he can do. He can take all that gunk and all that junk, and he can make your way secure. That's God's specialty. God can make you strong. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Psalm 18.33. I love this. Because this is what God does. Number six, he will train me. He trains my hands for battle, Psalm 18, verse 34a. I, I, I don't know about your vocation and your profession, but I can speak about mine. I, I need constant training. There's so much to learn. There's so much in my vocation to learn, not just world religions, not just the 66 books of the Bible, not just business, not just people, not just conflict, not just staff. There's so much to learn in my world. I'm constantly, you said you'd train me, you said you'd train me, you said you'd equip me, you said you'd train me. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, he trains my hands for battle. And if he trains my hands, he'll train your hands. And some of you are doing battle every day out there in the workforce and, and you're battling life and battling real, real things. Do you think your heavenly father won't train you? He promises this. Now, this is written from a guy that's not on the throne right now, but this is a guy that's in a cave being chased by the king. I think I've mentioned that three times. Number seven, he will make me stronger than my enemies. I really like this one. I have seen this played out in my life 50 times, 50 times in my life. It's not even a fair fight. It's not even a fair battle. The Lord has equipped me. He will equip you. He will make, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. My goodness. He will make you stronger than all of the enemies in your life. Now, he'll do all that. Look at verse 27, 25, 20. Look, look, look. Okay, there's the seven. First of all, this is what God will do. Go, go, go back to the list. You're right. Go back to the list. You're, you're a woman. You're always right. Go back to the list. All right. Guys, I want us to read this together. Guys, just the guys. Ready? Here we go. He will shield me. He will be my rock. He will arm me with strength. He will keep my way secure. He will secure my footing. He will train me. He will make me stronger than my enemies. Absolutely. Look at verse 25, 26, and 27. To the faithful, this is David, in a cave, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure God, you show yourself pure. To the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble. I love this. You save the humble. 
but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. All right, Monday night, we, we had an elders meeting, and, and, and so many of you have asked me the question, why, why do you think Harborside's doing good, and why do you think like we're a healthy church? And, and I thought about this Monday night. We're in the elders meeting Monday night, and I'm just watching these guys praise our Heavenly Father. I'm watching your elders, our elders, humble themselves and thank the Heavenly Father for what he's doing in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, in the mission ministry. And he, These guys are humble. They're also probably praying, Lord, please help the senior pastor not to screw this whole thing up. But, but the majority of the prayers were just, God, thank you for your mercy. I mean, guys, let, let's be real honest. Is there any room for us to be arrogant or cocky? There's no room for that. There's no room for us for arrogance. You see, the Lord makes us strong. The Lord gives us gifts. The Lord makes us secure. The Lord makes our footing secure. If, if you take refuge in him, he will do all that for you and for me. And he does. You are called to be a warrior. And you've got godly roles he wants you to play. Now, we're all going to fail. But that doesn't make us a failure. A failure is somebody who doesn't get back up. We're all going to fail. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. We're going to fail again. But a failure is the one who doesn't get back up. And isn't that really success? Isn't success really the one who gets back up? We just, we just get back up. And look at what your heavenly Father's willing to do. Look at verse 28. Here's what your heavenly Father's willing to do. Lord, you keep my lamp burning. You turn my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, this is one of my favorite verses. With my God, I can scale a wall. Again, that's no reason to be cocky. But that's reason to be confident and secure in who we are. With your help, God, I can scale a wall. Hello. That's exciting to me. Look at verse, no wonder he says this in verse 46. He says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. No wonder David makes that incredible conclusion. Well, this past week, we, um, we had a funeral for a dear, dear harbor cider and a dear, dear friend. His wife's even in the room right now. I'm going to tell the story the same way I told it in first service, and then we'll tell it the same way, even though she's in the room, I'm going to tell it the same way in third service. I've done hundreds of funerals, hundreds. I bet I've done 500 funerals in 33 years. And, and, and at that point in a funeral, I can tell you what people want to hear and what people care about. Now, we lost Jeff Oliver this past week. And Jeff went home to be with the Lord. And Jeff did really well in the financial services industry. And he was a really good guy and a really smart guy. And he got all kinds of promotions. And he had a great career. We didn't talk about any of that at the funeral. Guys, I just want you to know, I've done 500 funerals. Nobody cares how much money you make. 
No, nobody cares how many promotions you got. Nobody really cares. Now, they care if you were a provider, but, but nobody really cares. You care. But I'm going to tell you what is really important at a funeral and what people care about. Did he love his family? Did he honor his wife? Was he good to his kids and his grandkids? What really matters at a funeral is how you contributed to your church, to the kingdom, and to the family of God. Now, I'm not saying go quit your job and go be lazy. I'm not saying any of that. I think you should be the most skilled workers in the entire... God will do all seven. I think we should be better workers. We have an unfair advantage in the workforce than anybody else. I think we should be great at what we do. I'm just saying at a funeral, that's not what we talk about. At a funeral, we talk about your contribution to people and to the kingdom. And so Jeff... Jeff came into my life about six years ago at Harborside. I met him out in the lobby, and he's not real tall and lots of energy. I'm just spinning around, and he kind of waddles and waddled up to me. And he said, hey, can we meet at, you know, Panera Bread? I don't know who he is. He wants to go to Panera Bread for lunch. And I think it took probably five or six months before it finally worked out. And so we meet at Panera Bread, and he said, you know, I don't know the Bible, and I want to lean into God. Can you help me? And I gave him a bunch of suggestions, thinking he's not listening. He's not paying attention. He talked the whole time we were at Panera Bread. And, and three months later, out in the lobby, he, he said, I, I read that, and I read that, and I did that. What's next? I thought, he actually did it. And, and Jeff began to lean into God in a way that most men don't joined a men's group, they joined a couples group, they co-led a couples group, and then Jeff began teaching twos and threes. He went back in the children's area, and for about three years, the next three years, he started teaching the children the children's stories, and he began to learn the Bible by teaching the children's stories. And then he said he got a promotion. He went from twos and threes to the elementary. In the last three years, He's taught six years in a row. He's taught twos and threes and elementaries every Sunday. Every Sunday, he's back in the children's area. When we started this series on Face Your Fears, it was Mother's Day, and Elisa Gilstrap got up here on Mother's Day and just knocked it out of the park for all of us. And Denise and I got a chance to actually walk around the church and see what other people did. And we were back in the Surfside Kid area, the elementary. And there was Jeff on stage with a pink robe on. Looked a little effeminate, but a pink robe on. And cucumbers on his eyes. He was playing the blind man in John chapter 9. And the kids were mesmerized by this. Jeff contributed. Jeff made a difference. He's taught hundreds of people the scriptures, taught kids for six years. Now, that may not be your thing, and I'm not trying to guilt you to go teach kids. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is your heavenly Father has wired you to contribute. Your heavenly Father has wired you to pray. He's wired you to love He's wired you to be graceful and merciful with people. Your heavenly Father has wired you to do some amazing things 
with all the people, the sphere of influence that, that you have uh, around you. That, that's what it means, you see, to be a man. We've been called by our Heavenly Father to be spiritual warriors. That's who we are. That's what we do. We make a difference. And so, guys, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to make a difference. I want to encourage you to figure out how you can contribute to children, to women, to men, to missions, outreach, evangelism, prayer, scriptures, Bibles. I don't know. The Holy Spirit's like way ahead of me right now. But he's revealing to every one of us in this room, how can you, because you're wired for this, you're wired for this. And let's not let fear get in the way. We're going to make mistakes. Absolutely. We're going to fail. Absolutely. But get back up. Get back up and charge for the kingdom of God. Now, the first place to begin is your relationship with Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I would highly recommend it. I would highly recommend you give your life to Christ. Number two, I would recommend you get baptized. You see, baptism is an identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Not today, but next Sunday at 6 o'clock, we're going to go out to Honeymoon Island Beach and baptize a whole bunch of you. Men and women, I'd go sign up today at the Connect Desk, the guest service desk, for next Sunday afternoon. Sign up today. Figure out how you can contribute to the fullest because that's really all that matters and that's all we're going to talk about at your funeral so I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front I'm going to ask us to stand up and if you've never given your life to Jesus come down front and do so today if you've never been baptized we've got a huge baptismal service next Sunday go sign up for that and um, maybe, maybe today, guys, things are not going well, and, and you're rattled. Your core is a little rattled, and you want some special prayer today. Come down front. Let these men and women pray for you, pray with you, and pray over you. To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be glory and honor forever and forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.